If you want to flip to Ephesians 4, verse 11, that's where we're going to be this morning. Um, Tom's out sick, not to worry. It's not too serious, but he's not able to preach. So we got some time to double-click on something that's really cool. First, let's pray, then we'll hop in. Father, we thank you so much for Tom. Mornings like this remind us of how blessed we are to have a man of his character and abilities to serve us and lead us. We pray that you would please heal him fully and quickly. And Father, will you please speak to us through Ephesians chapter 4. Please give us your wisdom, your will, your heart on this topic. And please, Father, help me to speak humbly and confidently. Amen. All right, guys, Ephesians chapter 4 and 5 that we've been going over is about a new life and a new family. And what it's saying is God doesn't just give us an improved life. He gives us a new life. And he doesn't just give us new friends. He gives us a new family. And it's a spiritual family. It is a forever family. It is God's very own family. Wow, what's that going to be like? What's, this new, what's going to happen in this new family? Well, Ephesians 4.11 says God's going to start by giving us people. What kind of people? And he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Interesting. Wow, sounds like an all-star team. Are those people, are they the ones that are going to do all the ministry? No. It says to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So we're the ones that do all the ministry. They equip us to do the ministry. They're going to equip ordinary people like me and you. Okay, time out. Is ministry work? Yeah, ministry's work. That's what it said, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So ministry is work. It's hard work, kind of like parenting is work. It's hard work. But like parenting, it's a labor of love. Okay, gotcha. Then what's the goal of this work? What's the goal of all this ministry work that all of us are doing? It says, for the building up of the body of Christ, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what's the goal? It said at the top, for building up the body of Christ. Cool. Who's the body of Christ? We're the body of Christ. We are. The church. The church is the body of Christ. All of us Christians here. So you're saying we, the church, are going to build up we, the church? Yes, that's what it's saying. We, the church, are going to build up we, the church. What are we building ourselves up into? It says we, the church, are building ourselves up to mature manhood in that third line. Mature manhood. How do we measure maturity? It says, according to the fullness of Christ, not our celebrities, not our gurus, we measure maturity by the fullness of Christ. So we're building up the body of Christ, the church, to mature manhood measured according to the fullness of Christ. Hmm. Mature manhood. Interesting wording. 
I thought our church is supposed to be helping people with their Bibles and prayers and evangelism. It does, yes, but that's not all our church does. Our ministry helps the church towards mature manhood and helps every one of us to mature personhood. So to say it differently, the church and our ministries are not merely concerned with our Bibles and our prayers and our evangelism. Our church is focused on us corporately to mature manhood and us individually to mature personhood. If we were to take a look at a graphic here, interesting wording on this, mature personhood. Personhood, think uh, not just in terms of my Bible, not just in terms of my prayer life, not just in terms of my evangelism, but my whole personhood. Personhood, my identity. We're helping one another understand and to live in our true identity. Identity is the foundation that we build our sense of self on. So your identity is not your job or your accomplishments or your mistakes or your biggest regrets. Your identity is not your relational status. It's not your life stage. Your identity is not millennial or Xer or boomer or Z. Your identity is not even your nationality. It's not even your ethnicity. It's not even your IQ. It's not even your Myers-Briggs. Your identity is not even your Enneagram profile. Your identity is none of those things are self. Your identity is your enduring sense of self. What is our identity? Our identity is what God made us to be. Okay, so the whole person, mature personhood includes our identity. It also includes our affections. What you want, what you don't want, what's important, what's not important, what you love, what you don't love, what you love most. The church God is helping us to become all that God created us to be in our identity, in our affections, also in our relationships, our relationships with our family, our relationships with our neighbors, our relationship with our coworkers, our relationship with the other moms at the tot lot, our relationship with the other students at school, our relationship with the people at the soccer team. The whole person includes identity, relationships, affections, even our mission, even our mission, our purpose, why are we here on earth? We, our ministries, are helping us in all of those things, not merely our Bible study, not merely our prayer life, not merely our evangelism, but with personhood. We're helping the whole person to become all that God created them to be. Interesting wording mature manhood so we're building the we're building the church to be healthy and strong interesting wording mature personhood we're helping the whole person to become all that god created them to be churches are in the business of thriving people churches are in the business of really happy really awesome people churches are in the business of making disciples churches are in the business of building up people into mature personhood and the church into mature manhood but the world but the world has a way of twisting you the world has a way of deceiving you into becoming something that you were never intended to be 
and deceiving you into chasing mirages and chasing fake gods. Verse 14 says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Whoa, I don't want that to happen to me. I want the other way. I want to thrive. I want to grow to be all that God created me to be. Let's keep reading then. Verse 15 says, rather, rather than have all that bad stuff happen, rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head Christ. Hmm. Interesting. I was expecting that to say something a little different. How are we going to get to this mature personhood with my identity and my affections and my relationships and my purpose? How am I going to become the whole person that God, God created me to be? That says by speaking. Speaking. Very interesting. We're going to become the people that God created us to be, all that he created us to be, by speaking. We're going to grow people by speaking. A kingdom built by words. Ministry of words. Yep, words that build up rather than tear down. Brian and Tom have been taking us through that in Ephesians. Words that are true rather than lies. Words that are charged with spiritual power to build us up, to grow us, to have us become more spiritual words, not uh, 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 everyday, uh, uh, impotent chatter words. No, no, no. These are special words. These are spiritual words. These are God's words. Interesting. All that from speaking Let's double click on that this morning. Let's double click on this ministry of words. Let's double click on this speaking truth in love. Double click. Ministry of the word, first thing we discover is ministry of the word is a supernatural experience. So these, again, these aren't just ordinary words. These aren't chatter words. These aren't impotent words. These are special words. These are God's words, and they have supernatural power. This experience of building up people, helping them to become all that God created them to be, is a supernatural experience. God created the whole world and everything in it with his words. Did you ever notice that? Genesis 1, verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. He spoke the sun into existence. Psalm 33, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, the stars in the skies. Listen to this. He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. God's words have supernatural power. God creates ladybugs with his words. He speaks ladybugs into existence. God creates galaxies with his words. He speaks galaxies into existence. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, what did he do? He said, Lazarus, come forth. 
And he wasn't like, oh, I really hope it works this time. <laughs> Lazarus, come forth. And what happens? He comes back from life, walks out of the grave. God's word is totally effective, efficacious, supernatural power. And in this supernatural experience that we're talking about, the word is what causes a disciple to grow. It's the active ingredient. The word is what causes a disciple to grow. Look at this verse, 1 Peter 2. Like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word. What will happen if I do that? So that you may grow up into your salvation. The pure milk of the world, the pure milk of the word causes me to grow up. Wow. The word is what causes galaxies to come into existence. The word is what causes disciples to grow. Very interesting, this speaking ministry, an entire kingdom built by words. And Peter is saying the same thing that Paul was saying. Did you notice in Ephesians 4, it said, by speaking the truth in love, that's ministry of the word, by speaking the truth in love, you, will, you are to grow up into him who is the head into Christ. So the word is what causes a disciple to grow, and the word will cause a disciple to grow. This is an important one too. This verse, this verse really encourages me. I hope it encourages you too. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but my word, it, but it will accomplish what I desire and prosper, what I, prosper in what I send it to do. So God is saying, my word will not return to me empty. When, I, when Jesus called Lazarus out, he was not in any, he had no doubt what was gonna happen next. It is effective. It is powerful. It's supernaturally powerful. The word will accomplish what God desires. The word will prosper in what God sends it to do. The word will cause a disciple to grow. The word will build up the whole person to become all that God created them to be. So then, let the word do the work. That is my message this morning. Let the word do the work. Let the word do the work. Study the word. Memorize the word. Don't just read a little bit of the word. Swim in the word. Let the word do its work on you first, in you first. And then when you're full of the word, let the word overflow out of you. Let the word overflow out of us into our conversations, into our relationships, into our ministry. Let the word do the work in our ministries too. Don't, here's, sometimes in our ministries, our, we, we build a strategy where it's like, I'm going to minimize the word. I'm going to dilute the word. I'm going to water down the word. I'm gonna put makeup on Jesus. I'm gonna put eyeliner on him and glam him up. No, let the pure milk of the word, Peter says, crave the pure 
milk of the word so that you will grow into your salvation. We don't need to be embarrassed of the word. We don't need to dilute the word. We sure don't want to change the word. Let the word do the work in our lives and in our ministries. Let the word do the work in, uh, in evangelism. Romans 1.16, it's not going to be on the screen. It says, the gospel, the word, is the power of God for salvation. Did you hear that? The gospel, the word, is the power, the supernatural power of God for salvation. So we don't want to change the gospel. We don't want to dilute the gospel. All the prayers in the Bible about evangelism or the main ones are going to be about make me be clear with the gospel, make me be bold with the gospel. We don't have the power to bring a dead soul to life. We don't have the power to save. God's word does. Speak the truth in love among people who don't know Jesus yet. Let the word do the work in evangelism. Let the word do the work in parenting. Deuteronomy 6, again, not on the screen. I'll just read it to you. Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7. These words that I am giving you today are to be on your heart, not just here, here. He says, these words that I'm giving you, put them here, not just here. Repeat them. Interesting. Here we go again with this talking stuff, this speaking stuff. He says, repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Very interesting. Speaking words again. It's powerful. It's effective. We can't grow our children. We can't transform our children. God's word can. Let the word do the work in parenting. Let the word do the work in discipling, reconciling relationships, strengthening marriages, maintaining unity in the church, because what was the promise we were given by a God who is incapable of lying? It's because my word will not return empty. My word will prosper in what I send it to do. That's why we read the word and pray the word and teach the word and sing the word and evangelize in the word. And that's why we speak the word with one another. We speak truth in love to grow the church and to grow one another. It can be surprising how important the, the level of importance God places on that, don't you think? And I think about uh, Paul when he sends Tychicus hundreds of miles. Uh, on a dangerous journey to Colossae, the, the church, uh, the, Col the Colossians, the church in Colossae. Quote, why? Why all these hundreds of miles? Why this dangerous journey? Why all the time and the cost in this, Paul? He says, for the, ex quote, the express purpose to encourage your hearts. Here we go. Speaking words again is going to have this really powerful effect in God's kingdom. And then he does it, Tychus gets back, and he says, Tychus, do it again. This time, go to Ephesus, hundreds of miles, dangerous journey again. Why, why, what all the, what's all this about, Paul? He says, quote, for this very purpose that he may encourage you. Speaking words again, speaking encouraging words. And then he does the same thing to Timothy, and he sends Timothy, hundreds of miles on a dangerous journey, quote, to encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Paul understood the powerful effect of speaking words. That's why I think Hebrews 3.13 says, but encourage one another daily. How much? Daily. Why? So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Why encourage one another daily? 
because speaking words of encouragement has a supernatural power to protect our hearts, to protect our hearts from becoming hardened. And it says we need it daily. It's like food for our souls. We need that supernatural food of the word for our souls daily. It's probably also good to mention, sometimes I tend to think we might feel the pressure when we're speaking, when we're talking, um, to say something new that our friends have never heard before. And I don't think that's the case. Uh, like we have to always be talking advanced theology that you've never heard before. Bible says much of what we do is reminding one another of what we already know. Peter, 2 Peter 3.11, it's not on slides, I'll just read it. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you, to stir you to wholesome thinking. If the apostle Peter didn't always need to say something new, then we don't need to always say something new. Sometimes we just need to remind we don't have to feel the pressure to say something, some theological truth they've never heard of before. A lot of ministry of the word, a lot of speaking truth and love, a lot of building one another up and building the church up is reminding us of something we already know. Because why do we need to stir it around like Peter's saying? Why do we need to stimulate it like Peter's saying? Because the truth has a tendency of sinking. The truth has a tendency of sinking and getting buried underneath, at the bottom of our hearts, underneath the worries of the world. The truth has a tendency of sinking and getting buried under the temptations of the world. And sometimes we don't need to say something new. Sometimes we just need to stir around that truth and remind ourselves, God still loves me and I'm going to heaven when I die. I'm having a very rough week. God still loves me, I'm going to heaven when I die. I almost missed the sermon this week and I'm preaching the sermon this week. <laughs> God still loves me, and I'm going, to, I'm going to heaven when I die. I feel a lot better, not because you're laughing, but because the Word did the work on my heart. God still loves me, and I'm going to heaven when I die, and I'm in a super gracious, loving church. <laughs> a lot of speaking the truth in love is reminding. A lot of this supernatural power that we're talking about this morning is reminding. You might say, um, this talk on the supernatural power of God sounds really good, but honestly, Dave, it's not, doesn't seem to be working on me. The word doesn't seem to be working on me. It, I don't feel like it's doing anything. I don't feel like it's encouraging me. I'm still depressed. I'm still, I still have anxiety. I still have a short temper. Ministry of the word doesn't have an effect on my children. They're still really disobedient. They still don't want to come to church. The gospel, the word, isn't having an effect on my mom. She's still not trusting in Jesus. Okay. Well, thanks for mentioning that, and that's an honest concern, and I'd respond this way. I feel that way sometimes. Sometimes God's word brings about a different outcome instantaneously, and sometimes God's word works gradually according to God's perfect timeline. 
not a day earlier, not a day late. Often it works gradually. It's kind of like a process, and things like discipleship, things like growth don't happen overnight. It's a process. It's a journey. Like parenting doesn't happen overnight. It's a process, and it's a journey, but it is a labor of love. Illustration. This one's going to be kind of weird, um, but it's, I think it can be helpful. You're in a hotel room. You hop in the shower, and you see a little strand of hair on the shower tile. What do you do? What do you do? I saw some of you do it. I'm not the only one. You get under the shower, and you go, hmm. <laughs> and you throw the water against it. And then you miss the first time, or it came out of your fingers the first time. So you kind of learn a little about it, and you're like, okay, hold on. You go into the shower head again, and you go, hmm. <laughs> Nothing. Go into the shower head again. It moved an inch. Did you see that? It went, well, and so then you have hope, and you're like, hmm, hmm, and it just keeps moving down the tile, and you go, hmm, hmm, and then finally, and it falls down, and it circles the drain, and it goes down the drain. It took a few tries, didn't it? That's kind of what ministry of the word is about. It takes, <laughs> it takes, sometimes you get a different outcome instantaneously, but often it's just gradual. It's a process. It's a journey. Can I ask you a question this morning? You might not have a total, you might, this might, might not be revolutionary this morning, but do your hearts feel a little like that little hair that moved an inch, like your heart meter went up one click toward, I want to be in God's Word. I want to speak God's Word. I have more confidence in God's Word. A little bit? That means the Word is working on your heart. And this is a game of inches and feet. Every once in a while in football, someone runs down the whole field, punt return, 90 yards. But often, it's five yards at a time. Get back down. Five yards at a time. Get back down. It's kind of like parenting. It's the long game. And as we splash water on that strand of hair, and it just slowly moves, we splash God's word on our heart. We splash God's wisdom into our life, and it moves us. And we, as the people of God, grow. I think many of us, many of us, when you look at what your life was like, I mean, many of us, I, yeah, we can get discouraged. We're not growing as quickly as we might. Our kids aren't growing as quickly as we might. Our spouse isn't growing as quickly as we might. I'm not growing as quickly as we might. But what was your life like before Jesus? Think about how different you are. This is one of those times where we just do a timeout and say, look at how many inches, how many inches we can't even call them. Most of us are unrecognizable compared to how we were before Jesus. This is the long game. And the key, I think, learn to love the process. Learn to love the process, not the final destination. You might be really miserable if you're only going to celebrate once, once, once you cross the finish line or the destination. The key is learning to love football, loving the game, the thrill of being on the field with everyone. Learning to love reading the word and discussing the word and praying the word and speaking the word. Learning to love that process, not just the final destination. 
four minutes. I'm going to go for it. <laughs> there is one other time when I think ministry of the word can break down, and it's when we correct one another with the word. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. So in that, it did say we are to admonish one another with the word. We are to correct one another with the word. We're supposed to do that. But that can be a tough one because many of us love encouragement, but we hate correction. But the Bible says don't hate correction, treasure, value correction. Proverbs 12.15 says, the way of the fool is right in his own mind. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, comma. But a wise man listens to advice. That is a chilling verse to me. Let me tell you why. Because what that verse is saying is, there are times, Dave, when you think you're right, you're so confident that you're right, but you're actually wrong. The, the way of the fool, the fool's not like, oh, I'm wrong, I'm just gonna keep going. Often, not always, but often the fool thinks he's right and then goes right off a cliff. The way of the fool is right in his own mind. It is a verse about blind spots, and everyone has them. So God is saying one of the things we do is we admonish one another. We correct one another with the word. We encourage one another with the word. We pray the word over one another. We affirm one another with the word. We also correct one another, speak the truth in love with the word. One of God's primary ways of helping us through life and to become all that God created us to be is through admonishing one another with the word. And sometimes I think, guys, this breaks down because, and I know in my own heart, I kind of go like this. I'm like, oh, that stings. Why are you saying that to me? And, and the, like the alarms can be like, this is a personal attack rather than like, Dave, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. If you want my help in your life, God is saying, Dave, you want my help in your life? Don't turn down community. Dave, do you want my help in your life? Absolutely, God. Don't dismiss people immediately when they correct you. Don't assume it's a personal attack. Dave, sometimes your ego can become too delicate. You need to be a little bit more durable. And you don't need to think that when someone corrects you, your Christian life is in question or, is in question, or your worth is being uh, questioned. And you know what else it says? Your real friends will often be the ones who are willing to correct you. When people don't care, they might just flatter you. They might just tell you what you want. But listen to Proverbs 27.5, enemies multiply kisses. Isn't that a funny verse? Enemies multiply kisses, comma, but the wounds of a friend can be trusted. Very interesting. Flattery, think twice. Wounds, know that it's a friend because they care. Kind of reminds me, I, uh, this, this, these verses, I believe them. I really do. I don't need any more regrets in my life. I really don't. I think I was too strong-headed at times, and I just, in all confidence, sent myself right off a cliff. I've now kept a little file in my phone, Ways Dave Can Grow File. And these are things, these are admonishments, these are corrections where my flesh was like, personal attack! And then God's word was like, 
the wounds of a friend can be trusted, Dave. And I've jotted them down because the Bible says it's not a personal attack. These are valuable, Dave. You want my help? Listen to these things. You might not agree with all of them. I don't agree with all of them, but listen to them. Consider them. Why? Why should I listen if I think I'm right? Because the way of the fool is right in his own mind, Dave. Be careful with your words, Dave. You talk a lot. That's a lot of words to give an account for. That was, that was 20 years. I've come a long way since that. That was 20 years ago by a guy named Rick. Show your parents the joy of having a son. Staying power. This is one Tom said to me 10 years ago when I was an intern. Staying power, Dave. Can you commit to a direction and stick with it even when things are not going your way? Sometimes you're too delicate, Dave. These people don't understand me. You don't see my vision. Like, <laughs> Dave, can you pick a direction and stick with it? Can you, can you be a little more durable, please? That was Tom. <laughs> be even more specific in calling out false teachers by name. Uh, you have a very high expectations for your wife. Uh, your schedule might be getting too full with church programs and no time to be around non-Christians and witness. You contrast people in ministries a lot. Does that make you feel good in a prideful way to be able to do that? Don't assume you're merely communicating wrong. Assume your heart might be wrong. Be careful how you encourage another man's wife. That was an interesting chat. You have a very high view. That you have a very high view that you're right. Do better at communicating to your loved ones that regardless of how well they perform spiritually, you will love them unconditionally. I think I would have perhaps not been ready to get married had I not received that 12 years ago. Be careful with second glances. Answer the question you're asked. Don't worry so much about doing PR to manage people's perception of you. You're not going to fall through the cracks. God's going to use you. Those are just some ways people, friends, the Bible says, have sp spoken truth and love to me. And they're not a personal attack. My question to you is, what are the names of the people who will do that for you in your life? What are the names of the people who will do that for you? What are the names of the people who know you well enough to be able to do that for you, who care enough about you to do that for you? The people that you have rewarded when they do so that you get even more of it rather than I'm going to bop you in the nose. That's a personal attack on me. Because we would like to help you get one of those files in your phone. Not literally, that's just what I do. But in making friends at our church, friends who will know you and love you and care about you and help you to grow to become all that God has created you to be and to help me do the same thing because I sure haven't arrived. One of the primary ways we do that is through life groups here. It's not the only way, but it's one of the primary ways. If you would like help in taking a step in that direction, we would love to help you do that and get into biblical community that's going to read the word and discuss the word and pray the word, encourage one another, and even occasionally correct one another with the word. All right, we're pretty much out of time, so let me throw a bit of balance on this and then we're done. Um, speaking the truth in love doesn't only mean pointing out the errors. 
speaking the truth in love also means pointing out what's right, pointing out what's good in someone. That's true too, right? We don't want to be these perfectionists that just pick and pick and pick at each other. So yes, everything we just said about correction is true, but we don't want to be perfectionistic pickers. So let's notice when things are right, when they're good, when they're beautiful, and let's, let's create a culture that celebrates what's right and not only points out what's wrong. Illustration, because words of affirmation have supernatural power too, just like words of correction have supernatural power. It's kind of like bowling. We're done with this. When I go bowling, or at least it's kind of like the people that I bowl with, it's like this. When I go bowling, I get up to that line, and I stare down that middle arrow, and I try so hard to roll my ball straight down that middle arrow and knock down all 10 pins. But what happens a lot is I get up there, and I stare down, and I'm like, 10 pins, and I roll the ball. When I release it, it starts gradually fading to the left and to the left and to the left. And then instead of knocking down 10 pins, it knocks down like two pins on the left. And before I can even drop my head in discouragement and turn around, everyone behind me is yelling, yeah, you got two, Uncle Dave. Uncle Dave got two. No one in bowling jumps up yelling, you missed eight. Like, no one does that. And I've looked to the alleys to the left and the right, they all do the same thing. You got one. You got three, not, you missed eight. That's kind of what it's like in the church, speaking the truth in love, in an atmosphere of grace and love. That's what we're trying to do. Let's just close with that, actually. <laughs> Father, help us to be people who treasure you and your word. Help us to be people who faithfully and passionately speak truth in love. Father, we pray that you would make us to be more and more like Jesus and you would build our church up into him who is the head Christ. All for your joy and our, all for our joy and your glory, Father. Amen.